Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, this fall, we have been reading the Gospels together, and after uh, a few weeks looking together at the healings of Jesus, uh, last week, Pastor Dan started us on reading um, some of Jesus' teaching together. And we're going to continue to do that right up until uh, the beginning of Advent. Teaching uh, was a really big part of Jesus' public life, and much of what he taught has been uh, remembered. It's been discussed, it's been enshrined into custom all around the world, uh, even among people who, who don't really know who Jesus was or, or who he is. You know, one time Jesus said that everyone who hears these words of mine will be like a wise man who built their house on the rock. Once, uh, when a lot of people were becoming really uh, agitated and unsettled and hot at something that Jesus was teaching, he turned to his disciples and he asked if they wanted to abandon him. And Simon Peter said, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And church, I think those, those, two, those two statements um, are a pretty great picture of Jesus' teaching. It is wise and life-giving for people like us. And this morning we're going to look at uh, some of the most distinctive, some of the most challenging of Jesus' teachings we're going to look at his uh, teaching on non-resistance and the love of enemy from the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to read from Matthew 5 for us, verses 38 through 48. It's printed in the order of worship if you want to follow along there as I read. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, uh, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard it said that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. This is God's word and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, I ask, uh, like we always do, that as we, as we think about and talk about this word we've read and heard together, uh, that you would meet us uh, where we are, that this thing that we just sang, uh, that you are a source of true delight, that we would find that to be true that we would experience it to be true. Show us the grace and love and mercy of the one who spoke these words first. Change us by him. Change us by his grace. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, I, I have a friend who is a, a camera operator. And uh, back in September of 2007, uh, he worked a, a soccer friendly that was played uh, here in Soldier Field. It was... Uh, the United States versus Brazil. 
And uh, I was pretty jealous that he was going to get to work that game. And I told him that I was jealous about it. And his response uh, was to get me an all-access field credential for that game. Uh, as you can imagine, I was, I was, you know, beyond thrilled about it. Uh, with that credential, I could go just about anywhere on the field, almost anywhere in the stadium uh, during that whole afternoon during the game. The only place I had to avoid was the tunnel from the locker room while the players were in there. Otherwise, I could go anywhere I wanted. It was amazing, and I still get a little bit giddy when I think about it. <laughs> there was a catch, though. The, the credential that he gave me uh, was for a camera operator. Uh, you know, they don't just knowingly let any Yahoo down there running around on the field during the game. So, you know, I had to wear a vest. I had to wear a vest like all the other camera operators were wearing. And my friend told me, uh, as he put it, to uh, act like I belong there. <laughs> uh, which felt a little mysterious to me, given that I had no idea what a camera operator would do. And uh, much more relevantly... I did not have a camera, you know? So this is what I did. I spent the afternoon watching the game like a big old fan while also trying to imitate all the other people who were down there on the field um, who I presumed were actually supposed to be there. I tried to look like them. Uh, I tried to act like them. I tried to fit in with them. tried to move like they moved. I tried to be generally part of the family, you know? And I must have pulled it off at least a little bit um, because the very next Sunday right here at Covenant as I was greeting people uh, there at the back door, one of our congregants came up to me, had this big grin on his face, and he sheepishly asked me, Pastor Aaron, do you have another job? Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw you down on the field during that USA-Brazil game last week. So I must have looked the part. Must have looked uh, at least a little bit like I belonged. And church, I think an idea like that is at the heart of Jesus' teaching here. He teaches uh, about non-resistance. He teaches about the love of enemy and the grounding that he gives, the reasoning that he gives people like you and me to live that way is not exactly what we might expect Jesus doesn't say, you know, if you live like this, uh, everyone will be impressed with you. <laughs> Jesus doesn't say, if you live like this, uh, the enemies and aggressors will see the error of their ways. They're going to have this change of heart. They're going to thank you. You're going to be best friends. He doesn't say anything like that. Instead, what he says is, if you live like this, you'll look like you're part of the family. If you live like this, you'll look like a child of your father who is in heaven. Because this is how he is. And this is what his kingdom really looks like. Live like this, and you'll look like you belong. So like I mentioned, this is uh, part of the teaching from Jesus that we call the Sermon on the Mount. It runs for three chapters from Matthew 5 through the end of Matthew 7. If you've never read it before in one sitting, uh, you surely should do that this afternoon. Even if you're not exactly sure what you believe, even if you're pretty sure you don't believe, I promise if you read it, you won't fail to be challenged and to be stretched to think about stuff that is deep at the core of what it means to be human, what it means to live with other human beings. 
But the Sermon on the Mount, it is addressed to those who believe. It's addressed to Jesus' followers, and that's important to know because it begins with this, this prologue that we call the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit and those who mourn. Blessed are the meek and the merciful and the pure in heart, the peacemakers and the persecuted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And church, the thing that we gotta, that we got to remember is this doesn't describe some kind of fantasy people that you and I can become if we try really hard to become those people. Jesus is saying this is simply the identity of people who follow him. This is what people who follow him, who are part of his kingdom, are like. He's saying that's who his people are. That is who his people are slowly becoming. This is the identity of the church, yours and mine. And precisely because that's our identity, Jesus says that we have a vocation in this world. Because that's who we are, we have something that we have to do in this world. Jesus says we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. That's Jesus' way of saying the church is indispensable to the good of this world. The church is indispensable to the good of this world. And I know that's hard to believe sometimes. But Jesus said it. And he could not have been more clear. Our vocation is to do good in this watching world so that people will trace that good back to its source. As Jesus said it, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And church, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, after that prologue, every single line of it to the very end is about what it looks like to do that in flesh and blood. It's about what it looks like to live that out where you and I actually are. And that brings us to Jesus saying, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You know, there are several places in the Old Testament where this idea is laid out. It's laid out for the judges of Israel, for the the court system in Israel. We call it the lex talionis, the law of reciprocal justice. In church, it was a really, really good thing. (laughs) It was a really good thing because what this principle did for God's people and for any other culture that used it was to place a check on what could have otherwise become an unending cycle of violence and retaliation. What this principle did first was teach justice. If a man, uh, if if you steal a man's cow... He doesn't get to beat you. He doesn't get to burn your house down. He gets one of your cows. That's it. (laughs) Nothing else needs to happen. Then it's over. There's nothing more that should be done. And this kept feuds uh, in principle from escalating. It mandated proportionality between crime and punishment. And by the time Jesus was teaching, financial remuneration had entered into the court system But the principle was still the same. The punishment should fit the crime. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You've heard it said. But I say to you. Church, Jesus had absolutely no reservations in staking out the very risky position of setting himself up as the authority over the moral law of God. And in particular, anyone else's interpretation of it. He located authority within himself, and that's the kind of thing that gets you killed. 
And I think knowing that, knowing how things actually work out for Jesus in the end, it gives what he says next a, uh, a steel backbone of authenticity and truth. I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. What's that you said? It must be my trick ear, Jesus. <laughs> it sounded like you said, do not resist the one who is evil. And Jesus says, that's right. Forget about reciprocal justice in your personal relationships. Forget about claiming justice for yourself on the streets, at your job, with your family, with your friends, with your neighbors. Do not return violence for violence. Do not return insult for insult and hurt for hurt. Just forget about it. And you know, we hear that and our brains go off in a million different directions and we ask a million different questions. Like, what did Jesus mean when he said that? How could he possibly expect people like us to do that? Doesn't living like this encourage the bad guys? Doesn't it impoverish us? Doesn't it upset some kind of moral order of things? And these are the kind of questions that Jesus stakes out and begins to answer with these examples of what he's talking about. The first of which is probably the most famous and certainly among the most quoted words of Jesus. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Don't escalate the insult. Do not perpetuate the violence. Instead, offer your other cheek. And you know, as is so often the case, I think that we can get closer to the heart of what Jesus means here if we walk first through some things that he is not saying. Two really important things that he isn't saying. First, Jesus is not saying that if you see someone else get slapped on the cheek, it's okay for you and everyone else to stand there and do nothing. I mean, that might seem obvious, but I'm not sure sometimes that it's obvious enough. I mean, imagine, imagine how messed up the, the parable of the Good Samaritan would have been if Jesus worked in an angle like that, you know? There's this man, he's, he's broken, he's bruised by violence, he's lying on the side of the road on the cusp of death, he's bleeding out from his wounds, but the priest and the Levite are just and righteous because they passed him by. Because who knows, maybe he turned the other cheek, you know? Good for him. That is not what Jesus says. No, the Samaritan is commended precisely because he stepped in. Because he was an advocate to care for the dying man. The Samaritan is neighbor. <laughs> because he stepped in to do what was right. He worked to reverse the violence that had been done. And church, that's important because it reminds us that when Jesus teaches us to turn the other cheek, he is not implying that we live in a world where it is no one's job to resist evil. Or no one's job to seek justice or establish order. Listen, one day we will. <laughs> we absolutely will one day live in that world. We absolutely will one day live in a world where no one has to resist evil because there is no evil to resist. No one will have to seek justice because justice will be everything that we see. 
God's order will prevail. One day, church, we're going to live in that world. One day, the gracious and peaceable kingdom of God, it will be all that anyone sees anywhere. And that's the truth. But until that day, we live in a world where legitimate governments bear the sword, as the Apostle Paul wrote, as a, as a terror to wrongdoers. Until that day, we live in a world where Jesus has called his people to ad- actively advocate for what's right, to step in, to defend the defenseless, and to work tirelessly for justice. And so that leads us really right into the second thing that Jesus does not say here. This is what Jesus is not saying. He's saying, look, if someone slaps you on the cheek, he's not saying, then just run away from that guy. Just run as quick as you can and hide from that guy. Curl into a ball on the ground. Make sure he can't find you. That is not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that we should do nothing. And I probably can't overstate this. (laughs) So what does Jesus mean? What does he want us, us to do in that moment? And we should not be mistaken. Jesus wants us to do something. Jesus is calling for protest. <laughs> and here's what I mean by that. I mean, you know this, getting, getting even, it runs deep in our fallen selves. I mean, we live in a culture that breathes anger like it's oxygen. Everyone in the world in that moment would expect someone to hit back. Everyone in the world in that moment would expect that person to seethe and to plot an opportunity to get even in the future. Everyone in the world, when that slap happens, would expect a furious, fist-shaking cry of proportionate justice and maybe just a little dash more than that too. What no one in the world would expect is an open-handed offer to be hit again. And in this way, Jesus calls us to protest. He calls us to a confrontation with the dominant liturgies of this fallen world. He calls us to a protest that says eloquently and says powerfully, there is another way to be. I will not return hate for hate and violence for violence. I will not return hurt for hurt. I will not attempt to get even. And church, this protest whispers of the self-living, loving, giving love of God himself. That's the protest. It is the self-giving love of God. This is the other way. And I'm telling you, church, it's the kind of good that people wonder about. (laughs) It's the kind of good that people wonder about. It's the kind of light that makes people wonder, where in the world does this come from? That is the protest. That is the descent that Jesus calls us to. And church, nobody would ever see the descent if we hit back. And all the examples that Jesus mentions are protests. They're all dissents against the dominant liturgies of a fallen world. If someone's suing you for your tunic, then give them your cloak as well. Your nakedness will be the protests. (laughs) If a Roman soldier makes you carry his stuff for a mile like the law says he can, don't stop there. Work the double shift. Carry it a second mile. The descent of self-giving love. 
someone begs from you or wants to borrow from you, protest against the common liturgy that clings so tightly to everything that's mine and give without thought of any return. And I know you and I, we're not going to be sued for a tunic this week. We're not going to have a Roman soldier ask us to carry his stuff for a mile. Part of growing up as a Christian is us working out together how Jesus means for us to live this out, to live this way now in the places where we are right now. You know, with a coworker who keeps undercutting you, or with that sibling who can't help but bring up the old wounds every time you're together, or with that acquaintance who spreads lies and gossip about you all of the time. You know, what descent from the common fallen order of things did Jesus call you to then? Where does he want you to answer that insult and that hurt and that pain with the protest of self-giving love? <laughs> and Jesus says when we live that protest out, we, we are the salt. We are the light that he has made us to be. We are the salt and we are the light that he is making us to become in this world. We are children of the Father who is in heaven. We look, we look like family when we do this. We look like him. We look like our older brother, right? Who when he was reviled, did not revile in turn. Who when he suffered, didn't threaten anyone. But continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. And church, when we look like our older brother, we for sure look like we belong. And, you know, just as, as the people are hearing this in Jesus' day, just as they're trying to sort this out, what, 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 kind, of, what kind of teaching is this? <laughs> he says, you've, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, that love your neighbor part, that's straight from the pages of the Old Testament, straight from Leviticus 19. But you could look for weeks for that second part about hating your enemy, and, you, and you'll never find it because it isn't there. The reason Jesus says that people have heard it is because it seems to have seeped into the religious instruction of the day. It seems to have seeped into the national ethos as a kind of addendum to the bit about loving your neighbor. I think we know something about that, right? <laughs> about a national ethos steeped with hatred. And I'm telling you, church, Jesus will have none of it. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Church, this is the summit of Christian protest. <laughs> it is the summit of Christian protest because it reveals the scandal at the heart of our faith. A God who loves his enemies enough to die for them. <laughs> to love our enemies and to pray for them is to be like the Father himself. To, to live this way is not only to share in the life of the Father, and that's beautiful. <laughs> 
It is to be able to actively share the light of his life for the good of this broken world. In the places where we find ourselves every day, it is to be the children he has made us to be for the life of the world. And you know, maybe this goes without saying, but but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, We have been the objects of that love. While we were enemies, St. Paul says, we became the objects of that love. That is the meaning of Jesus' life and death and resurrection and ascension for us. It means that through those things, we are reconciled to the Father and made part of the family by faith in Jesus. So we have everything we need and more. Believe it. We have everything we need. Just like we sang, it is more than enough. (laughs) We have all that we need to love in that same magnanimous, generous, open-handed and uncalculating way that we have been loved. We have everything we need to love like that. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would do uh, whatever it is that you need to do in people like us, every single one of us, to, to help us to hear this teaching from Jesus and, and to believe it and to live it out like uh, the wise people he invites us to be. <laughs> that you would help us to believe it and to cling to him. And we, we hear that teaching at the end that he gives, you should be fer- perfect like your father's perfect. And we want to shrink away from it, but then we remember Jesus. We remember that he loved us as enemies and that he has perfected forever those who are being made holy. And so we praise him again. Help us to cling to him in faith so that we can grow up in our own faith and mature in it. So that we can be a people through whom you love this broken world. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.